Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It's Mark chapter 1 and we start to read at verse 21. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Well, Dave, uh, thank you very much for reading for us and Peter for leading. Um, and now I'd encourage you, if you would, to keep your Bibles uh, open to Mark chapter 1 there as we uh, continue looking through this uh, series, uh, looking from the beginning of Mark's Gospel uh, through the next uh, few chapters. And uh, if it's helpful for you, there's a sermon outline as well tucked in your bundle. You might like to dig that out as well so you can see where we're heading in the next few moments. Um, I don't know whether it's just I'm getting older or whether it really is that the world's getting worse, but watching the news can be a very depressing experience. I do like to watch it every week. 
uh, every, every day and keep an eye on what's going on, but I thoroughly, find myself thoroughly depressed when I do watch the news. There seem to be so many bad news items, devastatingly bad. And as I watch it, it leaves me convinced that evil is running right through the very fabric of our world. Uh, we've um, prayed about some of these things today, uh, terrorism in Europe, uh, through uh, ISIS in Nigeria and other parts of Africa, Boko Haram causing havoc. Uh, closer to home, we await the, the Chilcot inquiry into the Iraq war and can only wonder what that will unearth. And uh, then hearing it won't be published until after the general election, the, the cynic in me is convinced by the political commentators that that's quite deliberate so that votes aren't lost over it. Uh, the problem of paedophilia in this nation. Even when reporting on Salian Britain's death this week, the media were probing at the possibility that 20 years ago or so there was a paedophile ring in Westminster and a cover-up then and since. Uh, then there's the Ebola crisis in West Africa and not just the appalling and devastating loss of life but the controversy over the speed of response from the West. Now it seems better but it did seem to take a long time before it got going. One way and another, as we watch the news, it seems we live in a world where evil is everywhere. Powerful forces are far too strong for any one of us, um, and they're at work. Think about it seriously, it leaves us feeling extremely vulnerable. And it's not just uh, evil in the world that makes us feel that way. Our lives can be so rudely and painfully interrupted by sickness, illness, disease... Everything's going along fine when the telephone call comes from the doctor's surgery and the receptionist says, your test the back and the doctor would like to see you. And you say, oh, when would he like me to come in? And she says, well, it's urgent. Could you come in later today? With evil in our world and disease and death ruining life, we find ourselves longing for another world, for a better world. <coughs> Now, whether we realise it or not, the other world that we're longing for is the kingdom of God. We may never have called it that, but that is the world we all want. And it's the world that the Jews of Jesus' day were waiting for as well. It's actually what any serious Jew is waiting for today. Uh, a few years back now, the church wardens asked me to attend an international conference in Jerusalem. And uh, while we were there, while uh, I and the other delegates were there, we were able to see some of the sights. And one memorable moment for me was my, on my trip was uh, being on the Mount of Olives and looking over uh, Jerusalem where there are thousands of tombs all facing Jerusalem. And the tour guide explained that these are the most sought after and the most expensive places to be buried, costing eye-watering amounts of money because serious Jews are waiting for the Messiah to come believing that he would come first to Jerusalem and then when he comes, the dead would be raised. And so serious-minded Jews wanted to be buried there, facing Jerusalem, so that they would be the first to experience the new age when the Messiah came. Now, we may think it, that's a, a kind of strange way uh, to express this hope in the Messianic age, but it makes the point that the expectation of the Old Testament is a completely new world order, not just a patching up of this tottering world not simply a desperate attempt by politicians and environmentalists and moralists and religious institutions to improve society and to save the planet no the hope is for something much more radical a new world where people are resurrected from the dead and where there is no more death 
There's no need to turn it up. I put the reference on the handout. Let's listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 9. We're familiar with them because we read them at Christmas. I'm very familiar with them because I heard them being read at carols by candlelight eight times this year. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Listen to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. And as we read on in Isaiah, we discover this very thing, this completely new world where there is no more death or sadness, no more mourning, no more crying. What a promise. A forever kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace. That's not this world being patched up. That is a completely new world order. In short, the Jews of Jesus' day were waiting for a better world, just as we are. They called it the kingdom of God, where there was no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And it is the longing of our hearts too, even if we've never called it the kingdom of God. And that's why the opening of Mark's gospel is so spectacular. It tells us of momentous news that God's king has arrived. That king is Jesus And because the king has arrived, look at chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God is near. This world that we've always wanted, this new world order, we're on the verge of it. But that, of course, is a huge claim. And so we're bound to ask, can Jesus deliver on that promise? We don't have to wait long to find the answer to that question. Uh, Barely halfway through the first chapter, And as we saw last week, Jesus is confronted by an evil spirit. And if you're following along on the uh, uh, sermon outline, then uh, this is uh, verses 21 to 28, the first point, destroying evil. Look with me at uh, chapter 1, verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, my guess is that many of us have read this before and our familiarity with this event may have dulled the enormity of it. Jesus confronted by evil. Uh, Last week, I was really helped as as, as a staff team. We were discussing these verses and one member of the team who worked in Africa for, for some years described an occasion when he saw a coffin being dragged along the road by nothing other than the power of evil. No people around it, this coffin being dragged along the road. The dark forces in this world are extraordinarily powerful. That's what Jesus is confronted with here. But then look at verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek and the people were all all amazed. Well, I bet they were. You see, here is Jesus demonstrated that he is the long-awaited messianic king. That he is, crucially, more important than evil. So powerful that he only has to say a word and evil must obey him. Here then is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. As I look on the news and see all this evil running through the world, I long for a world without evil. And here we see the kingdom of God will come in Christ and evil will be defeated. And then we see Jesus confronting sickness. Second point on the handout, healing sickness. Look at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they they told Jesus about her. 
You see, having shown us that he is more powerful than evil, now Jesus is face to face with disease and sickness. We know where this is going. We know he's going to heal him, heal her. Simon's mother-in-law is suffering. But you see, although we know where it's going, I reckon it's just as well it's a woman who's sick here. For had it been a bloke, we wouldn't have taken this seriously because we all know that we blokes make such a fuss when we have just a touch of man flu. So let's be clear, this is a woman. Simon's mother-in-law is not suffering, suffering from a heavy cold. No, she has a fever. She's laid out with a temperature that is dangerously high. But, verse 31, Jesus went up to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. It's an instant recovery. Now, anyone who's had a fever, again, not just a heavy cold, anyone who's had a fever knows it knocks you for six. And even when you start to recover, you need a few duvet days, doing very little in front of the telly, being waited on hand and foot. None of that here. In an instant, she's up. She's not only recovered from the fever, but strong enough to wait on everyone else, cooking a meal, serving it out, washing up. You'd never known she'd been ill five minutes earlier. And this is here to say something very simple. Jesus can deal with sickness. Again, here is the king giving us a glimpse of the kingdom where there's no more sickness, no more cancer, no more Ebola, no more death. Do you see, this is an explosive start to Mark's gospel. Jesus really does have the authority over evil and the power to heal the sick, proving that he is the king and that the kingdom of God is near. This is the, this is the kind of kingdom I want. And just so that we know that these are not just two isolated incidences, you know, Jesus didn't just get lucky. He kind of said the word and somehow this bloke got got healed. No, no, it wasn't just a lucky incident. Mark writes to show us that it wasn't just a lucky moment. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed and the whole town gathered at the door. Now, can you picture the scene in your mind's eye? The whole town outside the door of the house. Everybody had come to him. A queue longer than the surgeon's uh, operating list. That said, of course, there were no appointments made. I doubt there was a queue at all. It must have been chaos. Verse 34, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. You see, Mark sticks this in here to show us that the driving out of the evil spirit in the synagogue and the healing of Simon's mother-in-law were not just one-offs. Many sick were healed and many demon-possessed delivered. Jesus really can deal with the issues that make this life so miserable. He really can deliver on this long-awaited promise of the kingdom of God. He's the king who will bring in a completely new world order. Isn't this brilliant news? But then something remarkable happens. Something strange, something very odd Look at verse 35. Did this strike you when it was being read by Dave earlier? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. Well, of course they did. Everybody wanted them to be healed. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Everyone, do you see? But look what happens. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. 
Isn't that a surprise to you? Jesus hasn't come to heal sick people and drive out demons. They were were coming again the next day in their droves. But he says, that isn't why I've come. I want to go and preach somewhere. This is exactly what we want. We want him to uh, heal sick people and to drive out evil from this world. But that isn't why he's come. Imagine Jesus around today. He'd get a job in any hospital in the country. With a general election just months away, Jesus would be a a politician's saviour, ending hospital waiting lists in a few days. This wouldn't take him long, would it? One after another, bang, 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 sorted. That said, it would exacerbate the problem of the postcode lottery, of course. Can you imagine the outrage of living not in the right postcode to receive this kind of treatment? Anyway, that's all another thing. My point is this. Just as we see Jesus doing exactly what we want him to do, he refuses to do it. He walks away telling us that he has a different agenda. Verse 37, everyone's looking for him. Everyone wanted them to heal their sick. But he hasn't come to do that, verse 38. He's come to preach. Now that for me raises a question about who this Jesus is. May I say this from a Christian pulpit? Is he the most selfish man who ever lived? He has the ability to heal people and the power to overcome evil in the world and he walks away from it. It's just not right, is it? This is either a huge scandal that needs to be on the front page of the newspaper or we've not understood something very important. Now, you know I'm going to say that we haven't understood it, but you see the point. Well, it brings us to our fourth point over the page of the uh, handout, cleansing people, verses 40 to 45. See, it's what we see next in this incident with the leper that helps us to understand what Jesus has come to do. Look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, look, I've emphasized that last word clean because this is not just another healing. We've seen these healings. This is different. This is all about being clean. The leper came asking to be cleansed, not to be healed. And you'll see the clean word comes again in verse 41. And the point is this. When we grasp what's going on here, then we see what Jesus has come to do. And it is all tied up with being clean. Now, that shouldn't actually surprise us because we've already seen this in Mark's gospel. Look back with me to the beginning of chapter one, verse four. John the Baptist came proclaiming that the the king was going to come, the Lord Almighty was going to come onto, onto this earth. And this is what John the Baptist said, verse four. John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the river Jordan. See, this is really important. You can see in verses 2 and 3, here is John the Baptist telling us how we can be prepared, ready to meet the Lord Almighty. How we can be ready to enter this great kingdom, this world we want. And you see it there in verses 4 and 5. It's through repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, baptism is all about being made clean. It's why water is involved. We use water to get clean. So John the Baptist's message was simple. If we're going to be ready to meet the king, if we're going to be ready to come into his kingdom, we've got to be clean. 
Now that's where the meeting with the leper comes in. See, the leper knew he was unclean. That's why he used the word. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And in Jewish culture, having leprosy made you unclean. Uh, I've put a reference uh, on the handout from Leviticus chapter 13, if you want to chase it up later. The leper, in chapter 1, verse 40, knew he was unclean, which is why he spoke as he did. If you contracted leprosy, it made you an outcast from Jewish society. You had to go and live outside the city. And being outside the community was being outside God's community and a sign of being outside of God's kingdom. Do you see the problem? But God's kingdom is the place that I hope for. It's the longing of my heart. It's what I've always wanted, a better world. So to be outside the kingdom is a terrible thing. It's the worst thing. It is to lose all hope. Leprosy was like that. You simply didn't recover from leprosy. This wasn't today's Hansen's disease. It was an incurable death sentence, worse even than Ebola. Now, we really see this when we go back to one Old Testament story in 2 Kings. Keep your finger in in Mark. We'll come back here in a moment. But but flick with me, if you'd like to, to 2 Kings chapter 5, page 373. Again, I put the reference uh, on the handout for you if you want to chase it up later. Just come with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, page 373. It's a story of Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. He was a wealthy man, he was successful, he'd reached the top of it in his career. And then he got the phone call from the doctor's surgery. He contracted leprosy. And he couldn't do anything about it couldn't get himself clean he'd become an outcast it was a death sentence and in 2 kings chapter 5 the king of syria sent naaman the commander of the army of syria to the king of israel with a vast amount of money and with a letter saying i'm sending my servant naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy and then we read this in verse 7 As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? Do you see the point? Leprosy was incurable. It was a death sentence. And see it there, only God can deal with the problem. That's the point in verse 7. The king of Israel knew that. Why has the king of Syria sent this leper to me, asking me to, to heal? I can't do it. He wanted to pick a fight with me or something. So you see, as we turn back to Mark chapter 1 and the man with leprosy in verse 40, we see Jesus confronted with something that makes us unclean before God, something that keeps us out of God's kingdom, something that is like a death sentence, something that no man can deal with, something that only God can sort out. And the reason it's here is because leprosy is a picture of the human condition. See, just a few chapters later, Jesus explains what it is that makes us all unclean. One last cross-reference. Come with me to Mark chapter 7. Page 1010 in the Bibles. Mark chapter 7 and verses 20 to 23. Mark chapter 7 is all about being clean or unclean. We've looked at these verses over the last couple of weeks, but they are so crucial, I think it's worth seeing them again. 
Here's what makes a person unclean before God, and it is a gruesome list. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Jesus went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's a horrible list, but for me, it is the order of the list that is so very revealing, which I said a couple of weeks ago, but so we get it. If I'd have written this list, I'd have started with the big ones, murder, theft, and adultery. That would have been the three I'd have put first. But that isn't actually how Jesus starts the list. He knows what I'm like, you see. If he'd started with those ones, I'd have felt quite smug with myself before I got very far down the list. I'd be listening in and Jesus was saying murder. I'd be saying, no, I haven't done that one. Theft, no, I'm all right on that. Adultery, clean bill of health on that one. And by the time he got any further, I'd have thought, I'm quite a nice person, really. Jesus knows exactly what I'm like. He knows how keen I am to justify myself. So he starts with, do you see it there, the thought life. He starts there so that I'm not tempted to wriggle out of seeing who I really am. Verse 21, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts I've had the most wicked thoughts there have been people I've wanted out of my life and off this planet when people have crossed me I've had the most terrible thoughts about them you see I'm so full of my own self-importance that if someone has done me wrong I've wanted them removed how dare they do that to me as if I'm that important you see at that moment I've committed murder in my head And in our thought lives, we've committed adultery. Now, I don't know what you ladies are like, but I I know what all men are like. And then there's greed. There have been times when I've wanted, so wanted something so bad that in my mind I've plotted and schemed to work out how to get it. Not to mention deceit, making myself out to be something I'm not. Just think of the times you've retold a difficult discussion and in the retelling of the story, you've made yourself to be the the innocent wrong party or the hero. Have you done that? Yeah, of course you have. That's deceit, making yourself out to be something you're not. And then there's envy. I've seen people eaten up with envy. See, the things that go on in our heads... That's why Jesus starts with my thought life. My thoughts show me my true self, what I'm really like. And there's the problem. You see, at the end, it makes me unclean, verse 23. Dirty, if you will. And that's a bigger problem to me, even than the dark forces of evil and the problem of sickness and death, because being unclean, I am in no fit state to stand before Almighty God. And therefore, I'm in no fit state to come into his kingdom, but the kingdom is the place that I so want. A place of peace and justice where there's no more evil or sickness or death. A perfect world, and now I find that I'm not qualified to come into it. And that's why this incident with the leper is so important in chapter one. Let's go back there as we draw to a close. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Do you see, the leper's physical condition is a picture of the spiritual condition of us all. Unclean, cut off from God, no longer on good terms with God, and that's why this is so remarkable. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Now, the leper doesn't ask Jesus if he's able to make him clean. He knows he's able. We know he's able. Verse six, uh, six verses earlier, we saw him heal many people with various diseases. He's able, but is he willing? It's the question many people have about God. When we honestly look at ourselves, when we see what we're really like, like we're bound to begin to wonder if God will accept us. Well, if that's you, look at verse 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was literally cleansed, not cured. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is willing to clean dirty people because he is full of compassion And we see here just how compassionate he is. The leper won't have felt the touch of another human being in years. I've met people who haven't had real human contact for many years or or perhaps they've they've had a handshake but they haven't been hugged in years. Leaves them feeling isolated and, and unloved. This leper won't have even had a handshake for years. And we've seen Jesus heal people by just saying the word, but out of great compassion, he not only cleansed this man, he did it by reaching out and touching him. Here is your God, the one who loves you. Even though you've turned away from him, even though you're unclean, he loves you and he's willing to make you clean. It's a wonderful thing, feeling clean. A hot shower feels so good after a long workout. Let me tell you, it is even more fantastic being spiritually clean. Having a clear conscience. No longer any guilt. Ridley Scott, the director of films like Blade Runner and Aliens, and most recently of Exodus, said this recently. I've got this acute sense of guilt which I've never been able to manage to shake off since childhood. That sense of guilt is a terrible thing to be carrying around. So being right with your God is just magnificent. And listen, it's great now and it's wonderful when we think of the future. Being clean from all guilt before God means that you can know for sure that when you meet your God he won't see you as dirty and guilty but clean and acceptable and therefore you can be sure you're in his kingdom and look Jesus can deal with our guilt and make us right with God immediately verse 42 not after much effort and law keeping this isn't about living up to a standard of rules and regulations it's not about much church going. He doesn't say to the, to the leper, you go and do this, this, and 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 this, go on this long list, then you'll be clean immediately. Listen again to Ridley Scott. I'll give you the whole quote now. I've got this acute sense of guilt which I've never been able to manage to shake off since childhood because I had to do Sunday school and then I had to join the Young Crusaders and then I had to do church and Evensong and all that kind of thing. I didn't really enjoy it and far preferred to play tennis on Saturday and Sunday nights. I know what he means. It's a terrible thing when religion makes you feel guilty. For the gospel is about lifting that guilt and cleansing you instantly and completely. That's what Jesus does for us. That incidentally is why Jesus in verse 44 sent this leper to the priests. He wanted the priests to see he was clean. You see, the priests knew the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law couldn't make you clean, but the Old Testament law could declare you clean. 
She says, go and show the priest. And they'll go, how on earth did he get clean? Oh, it's Jesus. Religion can't make you clean. No amount of doing any law will keep you, make you clean, but Jesus can. That's the point. And you see, being clean before God is the most important thing we can have. That's what Jesus came to deal with. That's why he responded the way he did back in verse 38. He needed to preach. Why? He needed to teach people that their biggest problem was being unclean before God. He'd come to deal with that problem. They wanted him to heal their bodies and to drive out demons. Oh yes, there's going to be a time when that kingdom will come. But look, it's no good me doing that over and over again until you're clean because you're not ready to come into that kingdom. That, by the way, is why there's these moments when he says, don't go and tell anybody. Because if they told people, they would have just gone off all over the place and said, oh, look, we found the one who's going to make you well, heal, heal you. No, no, no. We found the one who's going to cleanse us so that we can come into God's forever kingdom one day. That's far more important. So yes, in healing the sick and driving out demons, Jesus gave us a glimpse of the kingdom of God to come. And he demonstrated there that he will usher in that wonderful kingdom one day, the kingdom that we all want, the new world. But most of all, he's being in that kingdom. And that comes through cleansing that only Jesus can give us. That's his priority and that should be ours too. Our danger is that we want to try and bring the kingdom that only Jesus can bring in. We think we've got to do lots of things to make this world better. We can never do that. Not saying there's nothing we can do in that department, but you see Jesus' priority. Not to correct all the, the ills of the world now, but to bring cleansing so that I'm right to meet with my God. Our priority, proclaiming the Christ who can bring cleansing so that people will be in this new kingdom, making them ready for that. Not just trying to do a few little things here that patch up this world now. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you very much for this remarkable moment when we see your great love and compassion as Jesus reaches out and touches the man who was unclean. We thank you for the cleansing that comes through Jesus alone because of his death on the cross. We pray for any here who don't yet know of that for themselves, that you would graciously open their hearts to this truth and as they turn to you may they know this immediate cleansing being right with you now and for all eternity and for those of us who've known this for a while we pray that we would glory in it again and have this same priority of wanting others to know it too and so we thank you and praise you for this uh, you our God who is so wonderful, so loving, so compassionate, and so meets our deepest need. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.